You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. All right, well, I'm glad, again, you've joined us. Here we are. We're doing church a little differently, uh, but I hope God's Word can speak to us even this morning. So we're going to just start back into His Word, where we've been in Philippians. And I think, again, as I noted in my email this week, it's providential how God has guided us in this book and uh, to where we're at. And, and I think even where we're at today, I think there's truths that we can pick out for, for what's going on uh, even here. So I invite you to take your Bibles or your electronic device, wherever you're at. Turn the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to do our pictures of the week a little old school this morning. I've got two of them, and since we're online, I can show both of them. This one came from, came from Malachi. I don't know, George, does that show up pretty good there? Kind of. This is from Malachi. You can see the guy eating grass on the, on the ground. Remember last week we mentioned uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and we mentioned that passage in Daniel 4 where Nebuchadnezzar, his pride was brought low, but then he looked, he set his eyes towards heaven and his reason returned to him. So Malachi drew that one out. And I believe the other one, I didn't write down the name, but I think this is from Lincoln, kind of that, that same idea here. He's got half ox, half bird. No, third ox, third bird, third person, and ober person or something like that. So thank you, Lincoln. You caught that as well, this Nebuchadnezzar eating grass on the ground whose fingernails were like bird's claws, it says. So kids, if you want to draw at home, I don't know how many kids are are viewing. If you're with us, parents, if you want to grab a piece of paper and, and draw something, let's still do that. You can email it in. We'll... we'll um, Find a way to print it off, show it, uh, that sort of thing. But I encourage kids, just keep drawing away, uh, parents as well, and just curious to see where that goes even, even during this time. But Well, hopefully you found your way to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 27 is where we're going to be at today. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Let me read God's Word to us, and then we'll pray. So here's God's Word, starting Philippians 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, here we are, separated by many miles, and yet through technology we're able to gather in some sense together. Lord, longing for that day again when, when we'll gather here in this place and we'll sing Your worship with every voice lifted high, and to gather around your saints. Father, we just pray this would be a temporary time. We pray for your healing for this nation. We pray health-wise for your healing, for the doctors and those in leadership that are dealing with this, uh, that you would give great wisdom and peace and calm uh, to how they deal with this. Lord, guide us as a church in it to have wisdom and calm 
Lord, that we would not be a people of fear. And I, I don't sense that, Lord, in us, but I just pray that we would, uh, we would honor You, Lord, in our lives. And so guide us in that. Guide us in this new medium with technology and the, the distractions that it poses that you would, you would just guide us even through here to hear Your Word this morning and to listen to You. And so I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would work through us at this time, that You would just guide guide this time for Your glory. So we pray this, Lord. Please be glorified in this moment. We ask this in Your name. Amen. Well, the, the first verse today is verse 27 really sets a goal that without a without a continuing work of God's sanctifying power in our lives seems impossible. The first verse seems impossible without God's work. And that call is verse 27. I'll just read it again, the first part of it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why do I say impossible? I think we think of what does it look like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel? I mean, just take a minute to remember what the gospel is, what Christ has done. In a few weeks, in Philippians, we're going to read chapter 2, how Jesus, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but became nothing, taking the form of a servant. And Jesus there, he showed ultimate humility, really perfect humility. And whereas we fall short, we would rather serve ourselves and our needs first, even as believers. But then that humility of Jesus led him to the cross. Think of the cross, this gospel message of the cross. That Jesus came not to die for people that deserved uh, a good deed. They deserved him coming to die. He died for his very enemies. He took on the punishment we deserved for our sin. Our iniquity was laid on him. So the Son of God gave His life for those in rebellion to Him. And then He rose again, and now He lives always to intercede for His own. We've begun here, when we were meeting, to sing that song, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? And what's the answer to it? Yes, He is worthy. He's worthy, but we have to ask, how in the world then can my life be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel? How am I supposed to live in a worthy way to the gospel? How do we, we who continue to battle in the flesh with this new nature in Christ, how are we able to live in a way that's worthy of what Christ has done for us? I think in our passage, Paul lays out two ways to do that. Two ways of living. And I don't, I don't know if, it's, if you just want to separate them, but they're ways, means, of living out this idea of living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Number one, so two things here. Number one is you do not live out the gospel alone. You don't live out the gospel by yourself. And number two, God is at work. God is at work to grant what He commands. What He commands us to do, live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, God grants what He commands to do. But before we get to those two and look at those in the text that we have before us, let's look again at this call to live in a worthy manner and explore the first part of it in verse 27 just a little bit more. So again, look at that first part of verse 27 where it says, 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're reading from, a, from an ESV version, you're going to find a footnote, and I, I did not look on the other versions, but you're going to find a footnote with another way to phrase this. It might be the phrase, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. Behave as citizens. They put the word citizens in there. So you've got, let your manner of life be worthy or behave as worthy citizens. And the reason for these two options that the ESV gives a footnote, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, is the, it's the word that Paul uses here. And I don't pronounce Greek words all that much for you, uh, but this is the word, and maybe you'll hear, hear a bit why I pronounce it. The word is politeuesthe, politeuesthe. You kind of hear that polit, maybe politic, but you hear that polis in there, and that's the root of this word is polis, where we get the idea of a city like a metropolis, a polis. The word Paul uses here is to behave like a, like a citizen, one of the city almost, you might say, a word that I think would make sense to those living in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. They knew, they knew the value of being a Roman citizen. We get back to a definition of citizen, no better place than Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And here's what he says. Here's the definition of a citizen. The native of a city or an inhabitant who enjoys the freedom and privileges of the city in which he resides. He enjoys the freedom and privileges of the city where he resides. Another commentator uh, says this of citizens. Here in the state, the individual citizen developed his gifts and realized his his potential not in isolation, but in cooperation. Here he was able to maximize his abilities, not by himself or for himself, but in community and for the good of the community. To live as a citizen, therefore meant for the Greek and later the Roman rights and privileges, but also duties and responsibilities. So you've got Philippi, where Paul is writing to a Roman colony a sort of outpost of rome with these same privileges of rome one writer describes it as uh, this colony foreigners whose organization reflects in miniature the politeia of the homeland what's he saying really philippi was a miniature rome that's who paul's writing to and so too then the church and you see this why it might be your manner of life or act as citizens worthy the church is that outpost, that miniature heaven. Or in Peter's language, a chosen people, a holy nation. And so 1 Peter 2, 9-10 calls the church to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And so God's people... God's citizens are to walk in a manner of life that looks like they're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And so Paul is going to lay it out for these Philippians, whether he's with them or not. This is what I want to hear, Paul is going to tell them. And so look at the second part of verse 27. I'll just read the whole verse in its whole. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that, important words, 
Why? So that, what's the purpose? Whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I mean, if you could pick up one way to summarize what I just read, what Paul is calling the church to be, what he wants to hear of them, what would it be? Did you hear it in there? That one, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. It's a togetherness as citizens of the kingdom. And so Paul's desire here is that they be like like one unit. We know it's a body made up of all different parts, but all are one in Christ. And so Paul's call to them, I want to hear this of you, that you're one spirit, one mind. You're together in this. Listen to Paul describe this oneness in Romans 8, 5 through 11. I'll read it here. If you want to turn, um, I can't hear pages turning through through anything i can hear a few of my kids so yeah thank you george make it loud but uh here's paul's oneness in romans 8 5 through 11 listen to this of what makes believers one here's maybe helpful to you it says this for those who live according to their to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, there's interchangeable words, spirit of God, spirit, spirit of Christ, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Those who have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, are, are one in Christ. And their minds are one in Christ. And so being one, Paul calls them to strive. Striving side by side. The striving here, back in Philippians 1.27, to strive side by side, has with it maybe uh, two ways of looking. One is like a, like a gladiator in, a, in the Colosseum and, and this struggle this, this warrior-like struggle, I don't know if it's Colosseum, but where the, those gladiators, right, in the Colosseum, they'd have these struggles or this striving or maybe like an athletic competition. In other words, what Paul's calling believers to, of one spirit, of one mind, to strive side by side, this is no, no walk in the park, no afternoon stroll of the Christian life. This is a struggle. This is striving. This is, this is work. But he calls the Philippians here to a unified struggle. You've got those words, side by side, with a purpose. There's a purpose here. It's not, it's not a political purpose. It's not a, just a social purpose or economic. But there's a striving, there's a struggle for something greater. And you see what's greater there in the text. 
side by side for something, for the faith of the gospel. The subject here is the gospel. That's the good news. Again, God's rescuing man in his sin by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And the striving here is aimed at the faith of the gospel, a holding fast by belief to all of what the gospel entails. One place I read even this week talked about this maybe in terms of doctrine, that you hold to to the belief, to the doctrines, and all that kind of encompassed within this, the faith of the gospel, to what you believe is the gospel. These things, this holding fast to belief, what, what do we hold fast? Our need as sinners that the Bible shows us. We need a rescue from our sin. We need God's great mercy and grace. We need His glorious Son, Jesus. We need life, to be given life from death through God-given faith and repentance. And then we're to live as His blood-bought sons and daughters of the King. Side by side for that. That's the together purpose. But then there's also opponents to this gospel faith, and that's what's spelled out in verse 28. So verse 28, and not, so strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, and not frightened. I don't want to hear you're frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. One commentator says this of this word frightened, where it says not frightened for this word frightened. It was used in Greek literature to describe horses that are startled and frightened on the battlefield. For the Philippians, the opponents looked intimidating, perhaps. Paul was calling them, don't be frightened, don't be like the horse on the battlefield. But the question comes up, well, who are, can we get to know who these opponents are of the Philippians? Who are they? And I think it's possible, Paul's got in mind any, any number of groups here. Perhaps it is some Jewish opposition. We're going to see that in chapter 3 I would believe, um, or perhaps it's more like a Roman opposition. Remember back when we read Acts 16 and Paul and Silas and their first mission to, to uh, Philippi, and they originally came there? Um, there was Roman opposition there. And so it's just not, as I study, look at it, it's just not clear to me, uh, well, it's, it's got to be this group or that group. Here's what I think we can conclude. Gospel opposition varies between other Gentiles and Jews so that opposition came upon the believers in Philippi from various directions. That's not maybe, and I think perhaps Paul is intentional in not giving us a, just a certain specificity about who the opponents are. Because it comes, gospel opposition comes really from the world, everywhere. That's what Jesus warned his disciples about in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if you are in Christ, then opposition will come. It will come. And yet Paul encourages the believers here, be of one Spirit, be of one mind. Strive side by side for the faith. Why? Because we we need each other in this. 
Then look at the last part of verse 28. Because here Paul brings up this idea of a clear sign to them, to these opponents, of their destruction but of your salvation. Their destruction, your salvation, and this sign. The sign of these things. And, and again, we might say, what, Paul, what does this mean? What is this here? Well, here's it in, in maybe a nutshell. I'm sure more study might reveal other things here, but I think we can say this. I believe the witness of these Philippian uh, believers here, their witness, their standing firm in the faith of the gospel, side by side, that of what they're doing, it bears witness in two ways to their opponents. God says first, it's a sign to those in opposition of their impending destruction. Really, it's a sign that they are without excuse on the day of judgment. These, these believers who have striven side by side for the gospel. Here it is. Here's the gospel. And the opponents are without excuse. It's a sign of their destruction when they do not embrace Christ. Secondly, it bears witness then also this is where we're going, to the work of God in their lives. Their side-by-side striving bears witness to God's work of what? Salvation in the text, and that from God. God's work in them. And in fact, it is God at work in these believers. So though they are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, they're to stand firm side-by-side, Paul, I think, shows here it's God at work in and among them. And what they have in Christ, it's all granted by God for a purpose. It's for the sake of Christ. So look at the last two verses. I'll just read them together here. Verse 29, starting, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. All the glory, do you hear that twice in there? For the sake of Christ, for His sake. All the glory is Christ's. And so Christ is glorified not only in our belief, but in our suffering. And so we're going to look at those two separately. It's been granted for the sake of Christ you should believe, and it's been granted for the sake of Christ you should suffer. Let's take the belief first and then look at the suffering. And here we see from the text what's been granted. Belief, who grants it? God does. That's the word. It's been granted. It's a passive word. Passive meaning something is done to someone else. It's, it's happened to them. They don't, they're not active. It could be an active word. You have done this. It's passive. This has happened. This has been granted to you. Yes, those in Christ, they believe with their heart. It's their belief, but all of this, ultimately, we see here, it's been granted. It comes from from God. Verse 28, at the end, introduced it, your salvation and that from God. Verse 29 brings it home. For time's sake, we're not going to read all through Ephesians 2, though you could, and just by God's providence, that's where we're at on that that orange... uh, your orange sheet of Bible reading. And again, if you wanna, if you got extra time at home and want to get caught up on, on this or start here and you're, you're having a, an increased hunger for God's Word in these particular times, you can start today. Ephesians 2 is one of them. And Ephesians 2, uh, I think, speaks 
of this belief, but this gift as, as well in some familiar verses. Those I want to look at. But So we've got verse 8, Ephesians 2, 8. Remember, we have been saved by grace through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Going to verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created, so passive, we've been created, in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if that verb itself is passive, but that's the idea. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. God Himself grants us the belief for the sake of Christ, for His glory. And everything comes to, it's wrapped up in the Savior. And again, again, Paul's echoing words through here, for me, for to me to live is Christ. God's granted belief. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should believe in Him. His exaltation, His glory. So God grants belief, but that's not the only thing He grants or He gives. And here Paul says that along with belief, suffering is included as well. Verse 30 talks about Paul. They're in the same conflict. You're in the same conflict you saw I had and I still have, and you're engaged in conflict, suffering. So yes, God not only grants belief, but suffering as well. Let me caution you to be very leery of any so-called gospel preacher who would offer nine secrets to successful Christian living or your best life now, unless that teacher also acknowledges that suffering for the believer, it's not something abnormal, but in fact it's more normal and expected than we might think. Putting our faith in Christ is not the path to a life free from conflict or good health or financial worries, but rather following Christ it's the path to sacrifice and affliction. It's a glorious path, but it is a path of sacrifice and affliction. Here's some of Paul's, here's some of his other words here. He calls believers to Romans 12, present yourselves as what? A living sacrifice. It wasn't a pleasant experience, was it, on the altar for that animal? That's what you're to be, a living sacrifice. Or later in Philippians, he's going to say, Uh, For his sake, for the sake of Christ, Paul's going to say, I have suffered the loss of all things. I've lost it all for Christ. 2 Corinthians, Paul details, uh, chapter 4, I believe, I don't have a verse here for you, but Paul details what life looks like for him. It looks like he's afflicted, he's perplexed, he's persecuted, he's struck down. Always carrying in the body of death, uh, always carrying the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he says this. Now I kind of paraphrase a little, or cut and paste there a little bit. But here's the verse: For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our flesh. Somehow, even in our suffering. Jesus is manifested and made glorious. And so as God grants belief, so suffering is included. I thought about those toys you can buy or um, get, get a toy, you know, 
box, electronic toy or something electronic. Uh, maybe you're giving it birthday, Christmas, whatever. And in the print on the box, if it's electronic, most of them are going to say either those words that if you forgot to buy them are going to be really hard, batteries not included, or it has the phrase batteries included. And to me, it doesn't matter if they're the cheapest batteries and they're going to only last a little while. I'm still excited if the batteries came with it because it's like instant. I've got the thing and I've got the ability to make the thing go and here we go. Now, all illustrations break down at points, but I just want to suggest to you that the, the means of a believer's growth in Christ is via suffering. As the toy is no good without the, the batteries, in one sense, the batteries for your life in Christ are the, the seasons of suffering. That God uses those. For sure, we are empowered by His by His Spirit in our lives, but He uses that suffering, I think, by His Spirit for us. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He um, says this. He says that Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my uh, weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the suffering in one way brings out uh, our weakness, but the power of Christ. And then he says this. For the sake of Christ, then, I mean, doesn't this just echo where we're at in Philippians? For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think Paul understood the value of weakness and suffering. And that is when the power of Christ is seen. And so God in His grace, He grants us both to believe and to suffer. God grants us belief and suffering. Listen to this. It's an anonymous quote. I think it fits here. It says this, The Christian justifies tribulation. 10,000 times 10,000 saints are ready to witness that their most manifest and rapid spiritual growth is traceable to their periods of trial. Let me just paraphrase that again. 10,000 times 10,000 saints are ready to witness of that, that their most spiritually, their times of spiritual growth were those times of trial. Have you seen spiritual growth this past week, even? I know for the majority of us dealing with coronavirus, we're not yet. I don't think, or will be, we're not in extreme suffering right now. We're not in that category. Though some of you have perhaps faced, you've faced a layoff. Maybe there's some economic fear going on. Someone you know maybe is suffering in their health, whether it's from virus or something else. But really, each one of us, we're impacted. I mean, we're doing this today. We're impacted by this virus to varying degrees. But I hope you see what else is going on? I'm hearing of ladies studying the Bible together, maybe through a phone call or through texting. There's, a, I think, a greater clinging to God's promises and His Word. More talk of, of a God who's in control of all things. 
I think there's a sense for many of this week drawing closer to God in the midst of trial and hardship. And I hope that's the case for you. That we'll look back, and I hope we look back on COVID-19 and say, wow, what a year, and can you believe it? It's like the world shut down and all these sorts of things. But we look back and bear testimony. God was growing His church during this time. He was at work granting belief, suffering for the sake of Christ that we might glorify the Lord Jesus. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How? Are two things. One, by not doing this alone. Not alone. We stand firm. To stand firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let me just encourage you again. Call one another. Text one another. Send mail. Remember that thing? It's an envelope. You put a stamp on it. It actually goes and travels someplace. Send something like that. Or an email. Whatever. Or if, if you're led a smaller group of sorts. Encourage one another. I, I do think Satan would love to divide the church during this time. And so we... And may we, by God's grace and power, may we strive together, as Paul lays out here, side by side for the faith of the gospel and then watch God do amazing things in our church and in those around us. And then too, so not alone, together, think of, remember that side by side. And then number two is to embrace God's gift of belief and suffering. Embrace it. Embrace His gift of belief. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then praise God for that gift to have repented and believed in Christ. That's a gift. Praise the Lord for that. And then, dear Christian, do you suffer? Praise God as well that He is doing 10,000 things. Some of, some of it we're aware of. Much of it we are not aware of His plans and all His purposes, but we know they're good and for His glory. And so let us draw near to God by His grace, and then hold on to this promise from 1 Peter 5.10 with eternity in mind. There, there's no guarantee suffering here will end today or next week or in the 15 days or whatever it is or it'll be like this. We, just, we have no guarantee of that. We have a guarantee that our God is on the throne and He rules and He reigns for His glory. But here's the words from 1 Peter 5.10. After, it says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to pray for you and for us as a church as we close out our time live here and be praying about and thinking and being creative about how God might use either technology or just use you on your street or your neighborhood uh, for His glory during this time. But I want to pray this for you as a church from Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 20. So let's pray together then. Lord, for this reason I bow my knees before You, before the Father, from whom every family on, in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to your riches, your, the riches of your glory, Lord, grant those of Bethany Bible watching and others that have tuned in that are with us, grant them to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in their inner being. We pray, Lord Jesus, dwell in their hearts through faith. Help them to be rooted and grounded in love. Lord, give them strength to comprehend with all the saints throughout the world what's the breadth, length, height, and depth, and that they may know the love of Christ that surpasses even knowledge. Lord, fill them with all your fullness. So Lord, I commit them to you, to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, even when it looks like the society's shut down. You're at work according to your power at work within us who are weak and fragile. So Lord, to you be the glory. Be the glory in Christ Jesus, not just for this generation dealing with this virus or these things, but for the generations to come that we give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.